welcome to the Circuit Klaus podcast, the official podcast of United League Baseball, purveyors of fine fake baseball since 1951. We are here today with Detroit Griffins general manager and Circuit Klaus beat reporter, Sean Holloway. Say hello, Sean. Greetings, everyone. And joining us as usual is St. Louis Maroons GM, Glenn Reed. Hello, Glenn. Yo, yo. So we uh, we had Lance with us momentarily, and then literally right before we hit the record button, he lost power. So he's probably dealing with some uh, one of those patented Northern California natural disasters. Probably a bear or a squirrel ate his internet cable or something like that. So anyway, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk. We have two special guests today. We actually have Sean Holloway, GM of the Detroit Griffins, and Sean Holloway, Circuit Clouds Beat Reporter. So we're going to do two separate segments um, for each of those roles that that, uh, that Sean fulfills in the league. So before we get started, let's talk a little bit about Sean's history in the league. So Sean, as most of you know, is in his second stint as the GM of the Detroit Griffins. He took over the team at the, at the end of 1955. He inherited a last place team. And in 55 years at the helm, he, has, he had five winning seasons including his last year, 1970, when the team suffered an epic collapse on the verge of their first pennant, losing 22 of 25 down the stretch. That was the year that Washington had that amazing run of winning all those elimination games. Um, Dude, are you serious? Yeah. 22 of 25? Yeah, so he was 3-3 three, three and 22 down the stretch. And then for, and maybe that's the first question for Sean, if that was a, it was a coincidence that you left at the end of that season, or was that... Uh, was that a rage quit or was it like time to move on? Like, tell us a little bit about that, like end of the first stint. <laughs> the, the best part is I don't really remember much of it. I may have blocked it out and just <laughs> totally tried to push it out of my memory. I know really, Tim, I think it was just that at that time, things just got, I just couldn't keep up with it and everything. And it just got to the point where I just had to say, all right, somebody else who can step in and do this right and and do it that's great and then i was hoping to come back i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to but mr reed then talked to me one time and said hey i think there's an opening from detroit again what do you think and i figured might as well do it I'm starting to get a little bit old and <laughs> not gonna have much time to do it at this rate so i needed the the uh distraction as well it's a it's a good distraction i enjoy doing it so so yeah unfortunately don't have much to say there about that i don't think it was the rage quit just as uh rage life quit maybe it was just man just that's also when you know things with the kids started getting crazy um we had just gotten them in 2011 and to be honest i don't remember much there especially tony was having some some sleeping issues so truthfully galena and i we didn't sleep probably for like 18 months two years and there was just no way i was going to be able to be coherent to actually do anything let alone do it on time so i just said i'll hopefully get back to it and so long story short of it I wish I could say it was a rage quit and I like burned down the city like Peter did with Sunday. Just Bloody tell the story in LA, but... that way, bro. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I just oh my God. I just looked it up. It was 2009. So, so you were away from the league, 11 real years, but only six, because of course the league had a long hiatus in there as well. So, yeah. um, so to carry this story forward, so uh, there was a six-year gap there. Uh, you came back to the team in 77. In the six years you were gone, Ironically, uh, some would say was the team's golden age because even though the team, even though it was a succession of, of four, I call it the revolving door era, there were four GMs 
coming into the community, including Sparky Anderson, who of course is a fictional manager, but he did well as well. Uh, but but basically, seventy-one to seventy-three, there were there were four four winning seasons, and then they had that miracle title run in nineteen seventy-five, which is still officially not on the it's not engraved on the on the trophy. And I think you did you you did some investigative journalism on that. Um, and then the last year of that era, 1976, of course, the team collapsed from, they went from first to last place, prompting Detroit's owners to reluctantly call back their former GM, Mr. S Mr. Holloway, to clean up the mess. Uh, so that's that's where you, we were when you came back. And then, yeah, again, so when you came back in 77, you had a couple last place finishes, but you had that succession of, of those first round picks. And by 79, you surged to 85 wins, and the team's been a perennial contender ever since. Returning to the playoffs last season, 1981, where they lost the World, World Series in seven games to LA. So that's the history of Sean's uh, two tenures at the helm. So I thought we would start with that. And then, uh, so before we get started with uh, your Griffin stuff, we like to start with, we always like to start with these interviews with like some of your early baseball memories, what got you into real baseball? And then, you know, maybe some of your favorite teams and players. And then how, how did you get into fake baseball? Well, it's, it's, it's not exactly a fun story. It didn't start off that way. My father was diagnosed with cancer in 75, and he went quick. And by 76, he was gone. And my mother needed something to do with me and my brother. And we were eight and six at the time. And she just figured, you know, baseball, why not? Let's, let's do it. Uh, Detroit was still... Now, the Tigers in the mid-70s weren't, you know, the best thing on the planet, but there was still a lot of memories from 68, um, especially what the Tigers did to unify the city after all the riots, which was pretty brutal. So there was still a lot of fond memories and a lot of, of love towards, towards the Tigers. And combine that with the fact that there really wasn't much else going on. I mean, the, the Pistons stunk on ice. The Lions don't need to say anything about them. And the Red Wings were entering their, their Dead Wings era. So it was baseball. And no way in hell my mom could afford something like, like hockey anyway. So that was right out. So I was like, all right, all we need is a glove maybe and a ball and, and a bat. That's great. So she started us in baseball. And then from there, we just really took to the game. And the Tigers started to get good. And then you started to see things. And even though it took some time, you know, we had Whitaker and Trammell coming up in, in late 75 and early 76. And then Sparky comes in and starts building a team. And you start seeing these pieces get added. You had Lemon in center. You know, we had Herndon in left. Gibson was coming up. You had Morris, Jack Morris, Dan Petrie. There was Milt Wilcox. Parrish was behind the plate. Um, Daryl Evans was at first. I mean, it was it was pretty fun, and they got really, really good. And then '84 with that insane start. You know, I still remember to this day, 35 and four. It was just or 35 and five, I think it was, just crazy. And the it was just a blast. And I remember to this day, Willie Hernandez jumping off the mound after Larry Herndon caught the last out in '84. It was a, a great thing. So we just kind of started going nuts with the baseball stuff, and. Uh, really, really loved it. And from there, we, we didn't stick with it as long maybe as we should have, but uh, we stuck around long enough to, to really watch some of the great teams. Again, I'll always love my Tiger teams. It's really hard not to love that 84 team, but I enjoyed watching just about anything. Started watching Braves baseball because that's when TBS was really the first TBS. starting. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. can see them all the time. So if 
when yep. you're a baseball fanatic and you don't have 500 channels of baseball, you watch TBS or we had WGN. So we would watch the Cubbies play as well. Yep. So I'd watch a lot of those teams. Um, grew up loving also a lot of the Atlanta teams, especially when they got good later with uh, that goddamn pitching staff, which was just insane. But still to this day, probably is testament to Glenn's theory that great hitting teams can beat great pitching teams since the Braves only managed one out of all that. And I just enjoy players that I guess probably it's interesting. Although I haven't built my team like that. I'm probably more of a, of a Charlie type guy when it comes to players. I'm a, I'm a big guy on defense. I love guys that can just do fundamental things really, really well. You know, I grew up with, with K-Line's corner, you know, where K-Line would go down in right field in Tiger Stadium and turn around and just fire a bullet to second or third or home. So I love watching guys who have great glove. I love throws. Um, contrast to a lot of folks, I have no problem sitting down and watching a pitcher's duel. I can love that too. I, I don't need to see 12 to two or a 10 to five or whatever. Games got so long and things got so expensive. And I was a student for so long getting all these worthless degrees that it was like, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And then there's this other thing of I can't sit here for four hours and watch a game anymore. So part of me, I wish we could go back to some of those times in the seventies, not because the quality of play was all that much better. I just liked it because you could go to a game and it would clip along. Players seemed to be a little more decent. You know, if there were steroids or drugs in the game, it certainly wasn't at the levels that we saw coming on the previous decades. And just a lot of fun, a lot of good memories, because it's also a lot of time we spent with my mom going down to Tiger Stadium, which is a pit. And if you ever had the, the, the joy of being in Tiger Stadium, it was a great old ballpark, but my God, that thing was falling down. But sitting in the bleachers, center field bleachers, or in left field line, I mean, the acoustics were amazing. You could sit right behind the, the bullpen, and the bullpens in Old Tiger Stadium, if you remember, were down the lines. And you could sit there, and I'll never forget it, just sitting there one night, beautiful night, like 70 degrees, listening to the umpire call the game. And I don't mean, I'm not exaggerating, I mean, you could hear the umpire calling the game, and you could hear the guys in the dugout shouting back and forth at each other. It was, it just was such a great ballpark. And I feel really blessed to be able to do something like that. So if you guys got an old ballpark around you, I'll do one plug for them and say, man, go see them before they go. I know there ain't many left, but it was just, just a blast being down there and things were cheap. People were nice. And if you were lucky, you got to sit behind an obstructed view seat. So, I mean, what's, that's, that's the best thing in the world. So, I mean, get down there and go, what the, I'm into a lot of other sports now, spent a lot of time watching soccer, but Man, baseball is just beautiful about it when things are moving and all the pieces are going where they should be. It's just a, just a lot of fun to watch. So Sean and I met in... 1992, was it, Tim? 93. 93. So Sean and I were roommates in, 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 at Georgetown. So uh, when I met Sean, I just knew his, he's the, Sean's the hockey guy. He's got the Red Wings sweater. He's like, it's hockey this, hockey that. I didn't even know you were into baseball you know, to a couple of couple years later. So here's a question for you. Like growing up, were you more of a, obviously you played more baseball, but as a fan, were you more into baseball or more into hockey? And like, how did that change over, over time? Yeah. At the time, Tim, and I apologize for missing to the back end of your question. Yeah. So we met there at Georgetown and that's really when I started, you got me into the league because in addition to loving both baseball and hockey, I got the kick out of trying to do something like this. You know, I didn't have any clue in what at all, what I was doing, but what the hell, I might as well try it. I enjoy the sport. So we started off really with baseball, but in Detroit, it's really hard to get away from the shadow of hockey. It's just something that's constantly there. Even when the Red Wings were just, I mean, total, totally awful. 
it's really hard to get away from hockey. So um, my buddy lives just north of Detroit where the under 18 US men's program is headquartered. So he's right in that hub there in Canton Township. And it's just hockey all the time. So started off with baseball, but then again, as, as the wings got better and as the Tigers kind of were middling or had decent success, but never ever really could do anything like they did in 84, kind of went into the more hockey because it was hard too, because that was the golden year for, or not golden yeah. year, I said it was probably golden. Lucky. Golden decade, bro, yeah. right? 10, yeah, 10 12 like years. Last there. half of 90s, years. early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, that was just, man, it was so easy to be a hockey fan in Detroit. Uh, <laughs> So, okay, so moving on here. So here's a quick question for you, Sean. Who is your second favorite Detroit Tiger of all time? Second favorite? Yeah. I'm assuming, I'm assuming your favorite's Trammell, right? Like, yeah, we're setting yeah. Trammell aside. Yeah, Trammell's my yeah. favorite by far. All right. You know, I think I got to gonna go with Al Kaline. Ah, because right. I had the opportunity, and again, I was pulling out all the stuff out of, out of the office here that we've got trying to get things ready and get things cleaned up and, and get things, you know, stuff I either need it or I got to do something with like hang it and get it up in the house before I die. And I'm never going to enjoy this stuff. I found out that I've got like Kaline's signature, I think like six times or something, which means I've met him that many times. And the one thing I remember about him is what everybody said in Detroit. He's just such a nice guy. He was just so good to everybody he met, treated everybody very nicely. I gotta go with Kaline. So I, I have uh, I have an L, uh, an Alkaline story. You want to hear you want to hear my Alkaline story? Go for it. So it, this it's this is not an in person thing because I've never been to Detroit, never met Alkaline. When when my son Aiden was like uh, seven, eight, nine years old, I I got him into uh, Stratomatic baseball, right? So the card, card <laughs> nice old school cards and dice stuff, right? Yep. So, yep. But the first season we played, I wanted to, I wanted to do a historical season, so we got like the nineteen. I was doing looking around at the seasons they had. I picked 1964. That was a great year. There were like super close pennant races in both leagues and stuff like this. So he got to know, he, he, so he grew up, it was a great way for him to learn math and probability and all this stuff, right? Um, but he also got to know all these old time players. So so fast forward a couple of years later, we're changing the batteries in one of his toys or something. It's like a Duracell battery. He looks at the battery. He's like, hey, this is an alkaline battery. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia question. This is for Sean. See if he remembers this. Who was the first player you ever drafted in the United League? 1956. Oh, good God. There's no way, there's no way you'll know this if, if you if you forgot that you went three and twenty-two down the stretch in 1970. The first player I don't think was, so. Was, was yeah. it Kiner? No, no, no. Kiner was he was an original. He was a ULA. That was a good guess, though. That it was, was a good uh, guess. You'll, you'll never get it. it. Was Lindy? Actually, this is the guy who sounds like a hockey player, Lindy Lindy McDaniel. Oh that's yeah, Lindy pick. McDaniel. That's right. Yeah, he's a relief pitcher. He's a closer. Yeah. Seventh overall pick in '56. So going back and looking at your team, it's it's kind of like the best of times, the worst of times, right? Uh, a tale of two tenures, maybe. Because that first tenure, you had an incredible knack for picking guys, in particular picking pitchers, drafting pitchers who should have been lights out, should have been awesome. They were awesome in real life. They get drafted, they're on the Detroit Griffins, and literally nothing happens, like zero development, nothing. Sandy Koufax, first overall Bob pick. Gibson, wasn't Bob that? Gibson, yeah, yes. Andy first Bob. overall pick. Yep, and, then, yep. and then a bunch of names you never heard, guys you never heard of, first round picks, Jim O'Toole, Tommy yeah. John, Bill, yeah. Bill Froggy Hands, you took Bill Froggy Hands, Mm -hmm. Apparently you couldn't get enough with the body parts. So the next year you took <laughs> Raleigh fingers. You had fingers and hands. 
they fit like a glove. It should have worked. Yeah. And you had Jerry Royce. So all these guys, I think, and get Kofax and Gibson for years was your one, two. And, and they just were horrible year after year yeah. after year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I, I wish I could give you a, an explanation for that. I think if I could, I I'd probably be doing a lot better or would have a much better track. <laughs> it's like your masochistic streak, right? You're just like every year I'm going to send them out and get my yeah. hands kicked. Yeah. But, but, but wait, let's get this. So since you came back, right, since 77, here's your first round picks since 77. Mitchell Page, Alan Trammell, yeah. Bob yeah. Horner, Frank Pastore, who I think you took fourth overall and kind of yeah. like kind of surprised everyone because he's a bit of a no name. But then he, you know, he almost won the rookie of the year that year. Bill Caudill. Uh, and then you had some good second rounders as well. Willie Akins, Glenn Hubbard, Neil Allen. So those names I just mentioned, other than Paige, you've traded. That's basically like half of your team right now. And don't forget uh, Shirley in that first year too. Right. Yep. He was like third or fourth round. So, so I, tell me, what's the difference between like, was it, is it just dumb luck or like, so obviously since you come, you came back, most of these first rounders, I think Pastore was, Pastore was the exception for you because you had P- Paige Trammell Horner. Mm-hmm. Like going all hitting and, and Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. And Ricky Henderson as well. Yeah. But um, <laughs> he was yeah. the first pick the following year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. H. Yeah. Yeah. Horner Henderson. Right. So walk us through. So what's been the philosophy of, of, of turning this team around? Like, is, are you doing anything different or is it just like things suddenly started to work in 79 when, when the team started winning? I, I think I did two, two things here that I, I never really did before, <clears throat> and I chalked this up to one of it I did just by myself, and that was the finances. And I just took a look and decided, all right, if I'm going to do this again, I really got to do this right for the whole sole reason of I'm, I'm tired of watching my butt get kicked up and down the, the field here. But if I, so if I don't do anything to prevent that, that, that's on me. I can't blame anybody else. So I tried to look at things from a financial perspective and I'll get to the draft. Don't worry. But I just, that was the first thing. So when I came in, it was like, Oh my God, this, this team is just not in good shape. And I have a stadium loan. I'm still paying off on top of that. So I'm losing 1.6 million a year. In addition to that, that goes away until I think 87. So I focused hard on that. And then my approach really has been cold from talking to a bunch of people, you know, Glenn included talking to you, talking to Charlie, Lance, and just trying to figure out, okay, how does this game engine work? I remember, I think when Glenn sent me an email saying, hey, do you want Detroit? I think one of the first things I asked him in a response after saying, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. I'll talk to Tim was, so do you know how this damn game engine works? To which he just laughed and kind of was like, well, uh, not really. That's, yeah, a million, that's a million dollar question, right? Yeah, yeah, come yeah. on. It was. Well, no, it was just in the sense of, and I didn't mean it in the sense of, yes, tell me, please, how it, in the sense of, though, does it, does it do things like that? And, you know, if I go out and I draft a Kofax or a Gibson, is it going to do the same thing to me again? Or, or what's the deal here? So I really bothered the crap out of people, which I apologize for, but I was just simply trying to get myself up to snuff and up to speed here. And after talking with everybody and bouncing everything off everybody within reason and just getting different opinions, I just decided that, okay, I've got to focus on a, some different things. And the first thing, of course, was look at the ratings and do the best you can to keep your ratings as high as possible. Now, 
I also read a lot of the game manual, which I know a lot of people don't do. Some people like to just dive in and I certain that's go nuts. I mean, I don't care. I personally don't care. I like to read some things though and see what the manual says. So for me, one thing that I focused on too was players that seem to have a, not a guarantee, but seem to have the odds stacked in their favor to be good. Uh, I'm not the guy you'll notice. I mean, if you look at my team right now and you go up and down my lineup, you're not going to see a lot of outspoken guys. You're not going to see a lot of selfish guys. You're not going to see probably a lot of fragile guys. And you're going to see a lot of guys that have hopefully good uh, ratings in, in these personality traits, which I know people think, well, it doesn't mean anything. But I just thought they put it in the manual. It must mean something. Does it? I mean, to this day, I still don't know. But, you know, that's I, I, I go to a guy like Page, who was an obvious pick just because of he was a unicorn at the time. He's kind of been dinged since. But then you come to a guy, let's see, it was Paige Trammell. Trammell was a guy who was not developed. And even though I should have probably taken a better developed person because, yeah, the development risk here is a killer, I just thought I'll give it a shot. I knew my team sucks to begin with. So if I blow a, a pick on Trammell, you know, my, I figured I think I traded somebody to get a six-round pick from, I don't even know who I got it from. Can't remember, but I just figured it's almost like a free pick. If he doesn't develop, he doesn't develop. But if he does develop, this guy could be really awesome. And yeah, I kind of went along. Yeah, he was – Tremel was the sixth overall pick. You got him from St. Louis. So this is might have been the Terry Kift era uh, that, that you got Tremel. Yeah, and, and you took him ahead of Lou Whitaker, Floyd Bannister, Lance Parrish. Like basically everyone after him was more developed. I remember that was the big discussion that year was Tremel was like one of the most – uncooked rookies we'd seen in a long time yeah and and i knew that to some degree but i will say that in my defense or i should say not in my defense my stupidity i didn't think about how undeveloped he was i saw that and i said okay he's undeveloped but i thought well maybe he can develop so i have no genius in that but the other ones though and as i go further i think if you look at my picks they probably and again i'm hoping tim you might know but i haven't looked at anything sorry i didn't have much time tonight to kind of prepare for any of this stuff but my picks i think got more developed as i went along you look at someone like horner who was pretty much ready to go henderson was pretty much ready to go um even a lot of the other ones that are further on down they were ready or as i thought they were poised to be ready and ready to develop so i just kept trying to go I kept trying to find pieces that I needed, which at the time was easy because Detroit needed freaking everything. I mean, I think the best yeah. player on my team at that time probably was Don Money. I had nobody in any position. So my problem was not figuring out who to pick. It was, geez, there's too many guys I can pick. You know, I've got so many holes. What can I do here? So I just tried to do the best I can. I remember talking to Glenn too about it. And, and I know Glenn kind of was like, well, you know, these guys you can probably get pretty easy. These guys you probably can't get pretty easy because he he kind of pish posh my Willie Aikens pick there for the first baseman. <laughs> and that's fine. Because again, I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, how are corners infielders compared to, you know, corner outfielders compared to center fielders or compared to your diamond in the middle, which you need. Yeah. I had no idea really. I just decided I remember this, Tim. And if you remember, remember when we were back, we were playing and Glenn, you were in this league. Weren't was Glenn in with, with Bad X and, and PER, or was that just us? Okay. No, that was that was just us. Uh, yeah, it didn't sound familiar, bro. 90, 95, okay, 95, 96, we okay. had a, a couple of micro league teams. Uh, we had, uh, so Sean and I were in uh, some micro league seasons, 95 and 96 yeah. in DC. And then I think it was 2001 when we kind of brought 
both coasts together. Right. That was That's our right. first first foray into OOTP. Was That's that right. 2001 micro? Yeah. Okay. Well, to make a long story short, my draft approach really was, you know, again, it'll probably make Glenn have nightmares, but it's a combination of going for the best player and what I needed because I, I made a vow, regardless of who the player was, I got to do what's best for the team. And that sounds, you know, like life and death. And it really isn't. It was just was a matter of when I had bad acts. And if you, Tim, you remember bad acts. Remember I got the first pick that year and I picked Greg Maddox. Yep. Yep. I also had Ozzie Smith. Yeah. I had yeah. Ozzie Smith on that team. But the thing where I screwed up was after those picks of Maddox and Smith, I ended up picking after everybody else had picked and picked a, um, a position clean. Yes. So yes. Oh, so, so, so you were you were late to the run run on position. Yeah. You ended up with like yeah. the seventh, eighth best guy at every position, right? Yeah, it was horrible. Um, and so what I decided when I was going to do this was okay. So the, again, Aikens is a perfect example. Wasn't all that developed? Wasn't horrible, but wasn't that developed? Was going to be a project, but he looked like a guy that could fill a need. He's a lefty, which in my park is good because my park is is good for lefties and power. It's a uh, much better for him front home runs. So. I kind of went through that approach and, but again, as I got into it, the more I decided got to try to find some more developed players in that. Cause this development rich thing is a real bitch and, and I don't like it, but um, I'll take my chances if I can. And then it was just a matter of Christ. I was so bad for so long. I had so many picks. I mean, I would think I would was hoping I have to get lucky on some of these. Yeah. So to answer your question. So you, you, I think your question was like, uh, did you get better at drafting? Um, basically major league ready players that were fully cooked and ready to go here's a short answer for you rookie of the year 77 78 and 79 in order mitchell page bob horner ricky henderson so not only did you have the number one pick three years in a row you had the rook that player turned into the rookie of the year three years in a row i don't know if that's ever happened before i don't ever know if a number one overall pick has ever been rookie of the year other than those three times right which you managed you pulled off three years in a row it's probably some credit to me but again with the guys like page horner and henderson those are pretty easy picks i, I don't uh, i don't know dude I, I think you give some i think you need more you give yourself more credit because it does show an evolution of your process right because we just we started this thing talking about oh i had Kofax and gibson and they sucked Right. So you were like more fixated on the name. Right. Or you were at least stuck with the name, even though the ratings weren't that good, as evidenced by the fact that they played every year. And they sucked every year. Yeah. Right? So 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 you did in the earlier version, you were more influenced by the name. Right. But now come back new Sean or second iteration. I mean, Mitchell Page, I mean, let's just be honest, right? Unless you're like a hardcore baseball head, you probably don't know anything about Mitchell yeah. Page, right? So so to me, that's like the perfect exemplary pick where you like, you didn't choose a name, but you did choose, and you didn't choose a starter, even though you said you love starters. You didn't choose a name. You didn't choose a starting pitcher. You chose the highest rated guy at a non-premium position. I don't care. He's ready to rake. <laughs> I'm putting him in now, you know? So, so that clearly does show, I mean, bro, deserve some credit like that clearly shows evolution and then so i don't think your picks were even very risky other than the trammel pick that that took chest hair and um but but there worked out right so 
you know, I mean, like the Dickie Thon, you know, Seattle guy, he made that pick or the Ripken guy, he made that pick. It didn't work out. So, so that, but really that's like the only gamble you took that as far as I'm concerned, most of your picks have been like, you know, limited development risk. Like essentially like my interpretation would be you identify development risk as a real problem and you have to avoid that. And so I don't care. Right. I mean, I remember we even discussed this at the time. I remember we talked about this at the time. You're like Horner, you know, if I take Horner, is he a first base? Is he a third base? Should I deal with you? And, you know, so, but he was so well-developed. You're like, I don't care. I just got to take him because he's no risk and he has power. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so anyway, I guess I'm trying to give you props, I guess, you know, so clearly you've evolved, clearly you have, you know, you have evolved your approach and you have improved your selection process and methodology. And I think that explains the Frank Pastore pick as well, because I remember at the time you had the fourth pick. So Henderson was a no brainer at at number one. I think that was pretty, uh, Tim Raines went number, well, yeah, that wasn't a no brainer, right? It was Henderson and uh, Ricky Henderson and Tim Raines uh, were, and Mike Scott where I remember those three guys, it was like, who's going to, who, which of those three should go number one? And you took, you took Henderson first. Again, he was more developed. Exactly. Than exactly. So that made, risk, that, yeah. that made that decision. And then with Frank Pastore, I already alluded to that. The number four pick, he went, you swooped me on that. I had, I was going to go for Pastore, um, but you, you took him ahead of Dave Steve. And I think Steve again had greater potential at the time, but Pastore was basically ready to go. And of course, Pastore like slotted into your rotation immediately, had an amazing first year, and he's been pretty solid ever since. Yeah. And that was, uh, I will say, I got to give Charlie some credit there too, though, because he's the one who came up with the idea of switching picks because I really wanted a pitcher because that was the other problem I had here. If, if, again, you look at my team, I, I couldn't pull together a team of pitchers. So this is the other conversation Glenn and I always been been batting around, which is, do you need to have the best pitchers out there or can you go league average and then just try and bash the other guy out of the park? And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I'm new to this again. I wasn't very good the first time around. I, I know development risk is going to kill me. So I got to watch for that. But how the heck can I acquire these pitchers? And I really don't want to sit here for the next 10 seasons trying to develop them. So I did the best I could when doing some wacky things, which I probably wouldn't have done. Well, actually, no, I I would not have done the first time around because I just wouldn't have had the guts to do it. But I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm starting to collect some pieces here that are pretty nice and they could really hit, but I cannot find a pitcher to save my life. I mean, I think at one time, what was my rotation? It was like Ross Grimsley and Larry Demery, who's doing well in Chicago. And I knew he would because he's in the right park for him. But I mean, I was throwing guys up there that couldn't throw at all. So I just decided I needed to start doing something a little bit crazier and Pastore seemed to be ready, but he also seemed like he had some potential where he might go up a notch or two. And then it became a matter of, okay, I've got some guys here that can really play and they can really bash. I got some pitchers. Now, since my finances are straight, finally, after three or four years, I can actually sign some free agents. Maybe I freely admit I'm not the, I can't wheel and deal like Peter. Uh, I'm not, Lance or Glenn or Charlie, I, I just either don't have the chutzpah or I simply don't have the time or I don't have the, the, the intellect to find some of these deals. I mean, I don't know how Peter does it every, it blows my mind. Next thing I turn around, you know, somebody makes an announcement on trade talk for something and in like 30 seconds, Peter's already got the goddamn deal done. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I didn't even read it yet on Slack. So I had to take a much longer approach. And I think that also goes though for how I built the team. I just tried to 
okay, here's a piece here. I need this, I don't need that. And I was just brutal when it came time to cut because I just did not want to get stuck in the situation. You know, I had to get out from under blue. That cost me some picks there, which was brutal, but fiscal flexibility is so important. That let me do some of the other crazy things that I could do. Um, you know, I could pick up a guy like uh, Parsons again. He's not the best, but you got to remember it's Detroit. He's solid in some cases. He's got some endurance. He's supposed to be able to eat a lot of innings. So I just keep kind of trucking along like that. And then some guys just fell in my lap, though. I mean, I to this day, I don't know how Glenn Hubbard fell to me. I really, I, I don't get it. I'm still looking at that pick thinking. And I remember at the round started, I was looking at it going, man, I would really like Glenn Hubbard to be around, but there's no way in hell. The next thing I know, he's falling to me. And I'm like, holy crap. You know, and, and I also don't know how Neil Allen fell to me. I think that was my second round pick in one of those years. I still don't understand how he fell that yes. far here, but Neil Allen, 15th overall. Yeah. But I was like, you know, take, there's my second baseman. There's this. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can't complain when you get guys like that. So uh, Glenn Hubbard, 15th overall too. So maybe that's a magic number. The 15th pick, that first pick of the second round has worked out well for you. And that's so, the sweet spot too, because like financially, right. The cost drops mm-hmm. off like half a right. million dollars or yeah. million dollars. I mean, that, 15 and 29 those are like the best picks in the draft in a sense right Mm -hmm. this tracks then so for years detroit was just not a big player in free agency because i think of the cost cutting and you were just like chop 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 you were cutting guys left and right trying to get the payroll down i know some years you were paying off that that stadium loan in advance with some of the profits really taking a long view, but this last off season was really the first year that you had base to like um, make some plays. So yeah, you, you picked up Parsons, you got Dick Tidro and some other pieces. So, but another thing we should mention here, which we've mentioned a couple of times before, I think maybe in the season preview is the fact that your payroll is, what is it? The third smallest payroll right now. You're at like 62, 65, million Mm -hmm. dollars but putting arguably i think in the preview episode we had you up there with la as clearly one of the top two teams so can you talk a little bit about how that happened sure that was much simpler than it sounded as much as i was focused on the finances i I let myself get carried away with the stadium loan and i didn't look at some of the players i was carrying and then i just simply said to myself you know this is kind of silly here i gotta focus on the players i'm carrying and I went through and just started trying to cut everybody. Oh, or, or I should say, and or, I also looked at players that I thought I was gonna have and decided that some of them, it was for me, either just too much to be paying for that position, maybe a reliever, or it was something where the guy wasn't performing for me and I'd much rather get rid of him and give him to somebody. And if he does great with somebody else, I, I don't care because all I know is that I'm looking at a $3 million price tag and he's not doing anything for me. Now, that's why I traded Mitchell Page. He's doing great with Lance in Chicago. And again, more power to him. What am I going to do with him in Detroit if he's not doing it for me? So the combination there was just me sitting down and looking through all the minor leaguers, looking through everybody that I had and trying to figure out, okay, how can I maximize the players, try to find some players that can play some other positions. I picked up For example, Rudy Law, who's a bit pricey as he is, but again, knock wood, I worked hard to be able to afford a guy like him. You know, he's like 1.5 million, but he plays three outfield positions and he plays them all really well. 
So what the heck, why not? But that saves me trying to have a guy for each other position there or just having a guy who's only a left fielder, for example. And just really tried to look and see how much money can I save? And then this past year, knowing that our, our fiscal situation with the league was not doing all that great because of the, the general uh, economic recession, I just was brutal. The big thing was getting out from under blue. That was a huge thing. Again, cost me, but I got out from under it. And then it was just, okay, this guy's gone. So take away Paige. And then Tim, I traded you Hume and Caudill. So that was what? That's uh, 3.5 right there, something like that. So, and I just kind of kept going on down the road and saying, do I need this guy? Do I not need this guy? And I was trying to be as brutal as possible. So, so, so it's, I think it's safe to say that maybe a piece of your, a key piece of your strategy in terms of risk mitigation is, I, I, I guess to simplify it, like the, the, the best way to make sure that you're not overpaying someone is don't overpay anyone, right? So like, like you've got, I'm looking at your roster, you've got your six, your payroll's at 62 million. It's 12th in the league. So third smallest payroll. You only have four guys over 3 million. Bob Moose at just over 5 million. Brian Downing and Bill Parsons mm -hmm. at around 4 million. And then Bob Horner, you've locked up Bob Horner for 3.2 million through 1987. So that's a huge, a huge score for a long-term contract. No one else on your team is over $3 million. So has that been, is that part of your cost cutting is like, look, these guys are these, these, uh, high salary guys are the downside risk is almost always greater than the upside risk. So is, was that, what was that something you looked at when you kind of did this roster purge? Uh, yes. And especially after blue. And I think about what Peter said one time too, when we were, I don't know if we were playing a sim or doing something, but Peter just made the comment that you, you can't win a world series with a $10 million guy at every position. And he's absolutely right. So I took that to heart and tried to purge as much as I could. So I would have the money where if I wanted to go out and pick somebody up, I could do it. Now, whether I do it or not, I don't know because I'm still leery after the blue fiasco debacle, whatever I want to call it there. I'm still leery of getting tied down into that. I'll sign guys if I, you know, I need to, you know, I just, I think I signed Downing for five years, figured 30 years old, 35, let's try to give him. Cause he's just, in my opinion, he's a, not the best catcher out there, but he certainly has been doing knockwood, doing okay for me. And he's got good arm and, and a great glove behind the plate. So I certainly don't mind signing players, but I'm riding the arbitration thing for a while, unless something goes crazy. I just don't want to get locked down into that. Arbitration so far has been treating me okay within reason. I don't think I'm going to sign guys. You know, Horner was a thing where I was trying to actually get ahead of the arbitration because I was figuring for him, arbitration is going to go up higher than I can, than I would want. Uh, and considering that he was a, a good player like that, or even maybe even a above average player, we can call him now. I figured I had to lock him down. No long contracts, try to keep the money down as much as possible. And then if I'm pushed to it and someone's really going to push me and I need to, then I can go down that road and lock somebody in. Otherwise, let's just try to keep going as we can and make some money. Do you care about things like percent of payroll allocated to pitchers versus hitters or bullpen versus starters like i have yet to do that i was yeah, just no. curious like you're obviously paying attention to finances that's one that's only one way to think about it i was just curious what mm -hmm. your so maybe a different question would be you know again like so when you're coming up with a contract value how do you think your contract value maybe that's another way to ask yeah question. yeah no i think i think i do it better that way yeah i don't get actually so for pictures i i never or i never sat down and said i'm gonna have 
I'm going to have, for example, a, a bashing team and 50% and is going to be on this and then 25 here and 25 here. So I'm not allocating like I'm, I'm doing a stock portfolio. What I do is I'll look at the person though. And as we've talked, I will actually sit down and try to figure out, like I've done this for pitches, for example. Um, I did this with Cotto. I looked at what I was paying him and then how many innings he was pitching for me. And I exactly. Like, yeah. This guy is great. I can't, there's just no way I'm going to do it. And now yeah. he's working out for Tim, which is great. Again, the same, that's my approach too. Great. He's working for Denver, more power to him. But for me, I can't do that. So I think I do have in my head a general frame of mind. So when it comes to, for example, the relief pitcher, I'm really leery of going out and spending a ton of money on a relief pitcher because typically they're only going to be in what, one or two innings. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. If I come across another Neil Allen somewhere, yeah, that's yeah. that's another story because he just seems to knock wood, be doing really well and have taken off for whatever reason. I don't know why. I can't explain it. Yeah. Well, you've done really good with like you. You've got two uh, Tippy Martinez and Neil Allen, arguably the be- one of the best, if not the best, like bullpen duos in the league, and they're both getting one point five million. So tremendous value for both of those guys. So again, that's that's an example of, of, of kind of your strategy of like, you know, don't overpay these guys. And then, you know, if they work out great, if they don't, at least you're not getting hit with a big, you know, uh, a big payroll. Yeah. And, and that's the same reason why, for example, one of the, and then I'll shut up here on this one. That's one of the reasons why I did actually sign Claude L Washington to a long-term deal because the money for him was so minuscule for a center fielder. Now, he took a ding in center. His, his fielding ratings went down like by a point. So I think he's a seven in center now, but his range is still eight. He's a lefty, which fits my park really well. My park's really nice to him. And when I was con- or doing negotiations, I offered him this deal. And I think I'm paying him like a million a year. Yeah, I, million dollars. You yep. know, a million a year. What the heck? I can do that, especially with the paucity of, of center fielders out there. That to me seemed like a worthwhile investment. But for most of these other people, these other guys, yeah, I'm just going to try to get some ballpark figure, look around to see what other people are paying them, see what they're doing. If I can find a metric, like Glenn said, like innings pitched per dollar or something, or, or however you want to do it, war per dollar, war per thousand, I don't care. It really just depends on the guy. I don't think I ever go into it with a set thing of, okay, I can only afford to spend this much on pitchers this year, and that's it. I'm really more along the lines of who's the best guy that I can get for the amount of money I have and make sure I'm not locking myself in and doing something stupid. And as long as I can do that, I'm okay, more or less, with signing the guy if I have to. But, you know, so far, I haven't seen a reason to do that. So I'm going to keep trucking along, and it may come back to bite me one day, but I'd much rather not get into another Vita Blue situation if it can be helped. So let's talk a bit about um, about this season. So right now you're you're sitting at 44 and 25. You're a game back of Brooklyn. You're right in the mix there. You've got to be, you know, one of the favorites to make the playoffs and, you know, advance to the World Series. You want to talk a bit about what you feel your prospects are? How, how do you think the team will do this year? Ooh, that, that's a good one. The way Brooklyn and Montreal and Boston are playing, I mean, I'll tell you, I would hope that I got enough to get into the playoffs and finish in the top three there. But, you know, you never know. Weird things happen. One injury here or there, and things could totally turn on this. So I'm confident that I can compete, if that makes sense. But I'm not going to guarantee anything, especially after Iron Mike here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put the best team out there I can, which I think I've done. I don't really know where I can improve. I would love to. You know, I keep 
I got to probably sit down and try to actually approach some guys and say, hey, can we get this and do that? But the team I got, I think, is pretty darn solid. It's pretty good up the dime, you know, the, the middle, the, the middle and the diamond is, is fairly solid there. Now, Horner and Aikens basically stand on the first and third and just watch balls go by them. But, you know, you hit the ball to Trammell or Hubbard, that's probably an out. You know, Washington's not bad in center and Downey's behind the plate. Pitching's okay. Relievers, uh, if you don't look at like Walker, whose ERA is through the roof there, I mean, I think Tippy and Allen and Brustar has actually been having a good year too. And then I got and got this, I went from having no pitching to now where I've got all these pitchers and I don't know what to do with them, especially with signing Tidrow. I didn't really think I was going to get Tidrow. I didn't think he was going to perform that well. So now, Christ, I've got Shirley in my bullpen, which I never thought I would have yeah. that. Plus, yeah. I've got all these other pitchers i got to figure out what to do with. So one of these days, i got to get off my butt and sort that out. So I think yeah. I'm set, but... Tidrow's been awesome. He's a fifth starter. He's 6-1, and 3.08. And I'm looking also looking at your bullpen. Your bullpen ranks tenth in ERA, but that's really misleading because you got Tippy at 267 and Neil Allen at 192 and Brewster at 293. So all that ERA must be coming from the bottom. You know, Shirley Ripley, yeah. Walker, like all those guys are giving up the runs. And that's and you know to be fair, those are probably in like garbage innings anyway. So you know, in a close game, the, your, your top three relievers are getting it done. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping. So. The other thing I think, which was, um, I think Peter asked this of, of uh, Eric about Seattle, you know, what are you going to do if, if things go south? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I made my bed, which was, I'm going to try to hit you out of the ballpark. Uh, I don't have maybe as an impressive lineup as, as Peter does, maybe in that three, four, five slot, but from top to bottom, that's a pretty solid lineup there. I mean, even Hubbard batting eighth is not, not too shabby of a player there and everything. So do what I can. I'll keep going. I'm still crossing my fingers that Henderson and Trammell actually develop their power because believe it or not, I think they're both hitting over 300 now, but they're deceivingly powerful. I mean, they're both sixes, but they're not nowhere near that yet. And Aikens has actually got like another point to go to at first. And if he goes up to a seven in my park, a seven is, is pretty yeah. nice for yeah. a lefty. So, so, so here's, here's another scary thing another scary point about Detroit we haven't really talked that much about we have talked about the fact that you've basically built a top two team on a bottom three payroll which in itself is a you know super impressive uh, accomplishment but here's another thing here are the players on your roster who are currently under 25 years old Ricky Henderson Alan Trammell Glenn Hubbard Bob Horner Frank Pastore Neil Allen solid core of your team yeah. under 25 so they haven't even reached their you're already talking about the number one offense and these guys are not only are they cheap but th- as you just mentioned they're still developing they're going to get better their power is going to improve so yeah you have some older guys like moose is getting old is 34 parsons is 32 and like your i think your oldest position player is uh well well downing's 30 so even your oldest guy 30 auto Belize is 30 you know that's he's still got a few years in him and you've, you've got him locked up long-term as well. So I guess this seems like a team that's well positioned to be almost a dynasty, if not a, if not a, an actual dynasty in terms of championships, but at least consistently maybe a, a run of five or six years of being there in the mix in the playoffs. Is that, do you see it that way as well? Yeah, I hope so, Tim. That's the way I, I built it here in the sense of preparing the finances this year. I had the players. So hand in hand with that was making sure the finances were there so I could do this for a while because now 
if I need somebody again, because I, I totally recognize that Moose is getting up there and I'm going to have to do something with pitching. I got to find pitching somewhere still. So I've got the freedom to hopefully add some guys here and there, whether it be free agency or some trades, if I could ever find somebody to do with it. And I'm also going to, I'm going to tell myself if I don't do another Vita Blue, I'll have some picks and I can actually hopefully take some, send some guys and sock them away, regardless of whether it be a pitcher or a position player or what. It never hurts to have a backup or if I can find somebody, I'll gladly take them too. So I'm hoping that this team is set up to go for another five to six years. Will it, you know, again, I, I don't know, but I tried to make something as, as robust as I could. And now I'm afraid of just simply over tinkering and, and trying to mess with it. So I'm really trying to yeah. stay away from Don't touch it, bro. Don't touch. Don't touch. I really don't think I can because, again, if I was Peter, I could probably do something. But right. Lance could improve it like crazy. But that's yeah. Not, yeah, we're not that guy. Yeah. But I'm no. And that's the thing. I recognize I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who's going to be the, the tortoise cruising around going, OK, it's going right. right. to suck. But that's just me. And that's OK. I mean, again, I, I know my limitations and I'll, I'll work with that and go with it. And, and if other people can do it, you know, I mean, great. I think it's fantastic. It's also great too, because it actually allows me more time to have fun in my other role as well. Because if I was doing the stuff that like, like when Glenn and Charlie freaking switch teams or when with Peter with Bloody Sunday in LA, I mean, I can't keep up with that crap. I mean, there's no way in hell. So, so I'm, I'm trying to set this thing up that they can just kind of, you know, be on, on remote control and okay, autopilot it way through and please just freaking win and, and hopefully no one gets injured. Yeah, that's a great segue to do our second segment here, because as we all know, you wear two hats as not only a GM of one of the best teams in the league, but also the, the Casey Award. Casey Award for sports journalism, right? Yes, which is a real award, damn it. It is. Real award for fake baseball writing. And so uh, as your in your role as the as the Circuit Clouds beat reporter. So I got to start with the first question. You got to tell us about the notebook. We've, we've heard a lot of stories about this notebook you carry around all over the country when you're reporting on fake baseball developments. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and, and how does that, how does that carry that notebook around, like turn into to, to these gems of journalism that we see every, you know, every issue on the circuit clouds? I, I was cleaning some stuff up and this was right when we were getting back into the, the swing of trying to manage. And I just thought, hmm, Tim's always doing a lot of stuff. I got to try to help out somehow because we, we don't move as, as fast as some of these other leagues, which is fine with me though, because again, I can't keep up with some of these younger kids who are probably doing, I don't know, four or five Sims a week. There's no way I could do that. So I thought, all right, let's time, time to have some fun here and making stuff up is easy. I stumbled across this notebook that my, my girl had and she didn't need it anymore. And what was it? It's just like a little composition book which cracks me up because on the front of it, she has her name on it and then she put writing, but she spelled it W-R-I-T-T-I-N-G, which I thought was apropos <laughs> for, for some guy who's supposed to be out there and drunk half the time. And awesome. I, kept, I kept it with me because it's true that two things, A, I'm old and I forget a lot of stuff if I don't write them down, write the things down. And the second thing is I just need something to do because I'm at a lot of freaking soccer practices and soccer games. And sometimes I run, which keeps me busy, which is great. But other times 
if I've guarded my run for the day, you know, I got an hour and a half to kill before anything's going to happen. So I'll just take the notebook along and, and the next thing you know, an idea will pop in my head and I'll scribble it on down. And from there, it's just a matter of whether the inspiration hits me. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Now, with the crew that we have, it's typically pretty easy to come up with stuff. If you've noticed, I, I stick to the guys I kind of know because I, the, the whole stuff I do, if anyone hasn't figured it out by now, is done in jest. I'm pretty brutal in the sense that... Oh, I get it now. I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> noticed, I... Uh, I just got the goose. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not exactly too <laughs> and uh, pretty brutal about stuff. But so I'm, I'm picking on guys I know because I figure, well, these guys will kind of get where I'm going, but I'm trying to branch out. So anybody else out there as a, as a, as a plug, you're probably going to be pulled in. So just wait for it. I mean, you never know. I got Mr. Barkey and Eric going. So there's other guys that are, that are in my sights. Sometimes it can just be truly, I'll touch on this too, because I know Lance isn't here, but I know he wanted to, he, he did say this before, before California, I guess, crushed him with his power. Where did the songs come from? A lot of times, I'll be just, again, sitting at a soccer practice and, oh, let me go to YouTube or let me go to Apple Music and play some songs. And as I would listen to music, I just started to get this feeling that some songs and some groups just seem to be fit for fake baseball. I don't know why, but when a Zeppelin song comes on, chances are I can probably connect it to fake baseball in some way. Same thing with for a while, it was, um, <laughs> it was Simon and Garfunkel. I don't know why, but it would just come there. And then every once in a while you have the one-off. So I remember sitting in, I was, yeah, I was sitting in my car waiting for Tony to finish. And of all things, I was flipping through the radio. I wasn't actually surfing on YouTube or, or Apple Music. And I think I had just drafted Bob Horner. And I was really excited because his power was a nine, but I was looking at his defense and I'm thinking, holy Christ, where do I put him? This is really stupid because I got Willie Akins at first. I can't put Horner at first where he's a better defensive player. He's just going to sit at third and watch balls go by him. And Vogue came on, Madonna's song. And I started to think about the, the, or the lyrics went through and she was going to the point where she kind of raps, talks through everything. You know, was it Greta Garbo? I can't remember what some of the lyrics are there. But it went on and on. And it got to that one line where she says, um, she says, Rita Hayworth gave good face. And all of a sudden, you know, the epiphany hit me. Instead of Rita Hayworth gave good face, it was Bob Horner stands in place. Yeah. And I took that line <laughs> and I literally built the rest of the song around that entire line, meaning, okay, what would Bob Horner stands in place mean? And well, with him, of course, it meant he has no, well, he's got a glove. He's actually not that bad. He just can't move. So from there it was, okay. And I just kind of wrote on and on. If we ever have a fake UL Hall of Fame, which we should, the notebook has to be in there just for the the um, the, the battle of can he score, exactly. which is the battle of Evermore from Zeppelin. I was just funneling around one night, and Hart comes on, and Hart was covering it, um, and it was on, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm thinking this was the time when Manhattan was really really good, and Grieve was just crushing the ball, and wiping up. I mean, didn't I lose like a game like? You know, it was like 25 to two or something. Yes, 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 that's right. And all of a sudden I'm hearing the song and, and watching Ann and Nancy and it just started coming to me and I'm just going, okay, we always sim late, which is fine, but there, okay, sim, 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 sim till the morning light, da, da, da. 
And then it just kind of went from there. So for the songs, Lance, it's just something that I can see, something that I can hear. Uh, it comes up. And if I get a thing with it, um, you know, to, to Lance's credit, he came up with EET. Now that was all on him. That was totally engorged erectile tissue. And then from there, I'm going, okay, engorged erectile tissue. Where can I go from there? I'm like, well, Christ, this is the who. It's hard. You can now go, you can yeah. go anywhere. You can go yeah, anywhere. I was gonna say you can do a lot of things with engorged erectile tissue, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just a lot of fun and it's something to keep me busy. So the songs are are really just dependent on what I'm listening to. And you'll know again, I'm I'm all over the place. I really don't care as long as it fits. I try not to force it. And it's just again, just keeps me busy. And hopefully if if I can make somebody laugh. That's great. I'm not a comedian like Charlie is literally. I, so I mean that I don't have a, a dry wit per se, but I can kind of play around with songs. I'm usually pretty good with words and, and making things fit. It ain't easy. So I'll tell you writing some of this stuff and trying to find the right things to put in there is a, is a pain in the butt. But when it comes together, it is kind of fun. So I scribble everything in here. You can find anything from trade ideas to articles to but dude, what I can't believe is the volume of stuff you put out, bro. I mean, I mean, I am a writer. I'm professionally, that's my yeah. job, right? I mean, like, no joke. But dude, I can't write volumes of shit like that. I, mean, I cannot believe. Like, like, uh, what's a good example? Like, oh, like your 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 draft review. I'll buy it for a dollar. Dude, that is a huge, huge undertaking. I don't know how much time has to go into that. That's incredible, bro. Yeah. It, yeah, Glenn, but you, you know what it's like, though, too. If, if you get on, if you're really going to town one day, you can probably crank out a ton of stuff. And then again, the one area where I was blessed was I can write. I'm no Quanjock. Um, I passed my Russian, and we're Russian area studies at Georgetown when I, we were with Tim. And I passed my comps there with extinct, or distinction in history, which hadn't been done in like 10 years or something since I came around. You put me in front of a computer with an idea and a lot of government meetings and I got to sit to my computer and I can't do anything else and I got to sit at this meeting it's like Jesus Christ give me something to just take my mind off the so, so I see it's work productivity so it's like yeah. work productivity yeah. is what does it I see yeah. it's, all right I hear you so no, I, say so no more now I understand yeah. <laughs> yeah. so we have to ask you this so uh obviously a developing story in the UL universe is the CPU right the uh, Canadian yes. Players Union which uh it turns out there's four Canadian players out of a thousand, right? Yeah. But but they seem to be wielding all kinds of influence way out of their proportion, uh, sitting around a fishing hole, like concocting schemes. Like, is there anything that your reporting has turned up on the CPU that we should be on the lookout for in the months ahead? Uh, yeah, you actually can there. It's, it's interesting that these guys have been uh, way busier, as you said, Tim, than, than you would think they would. If there's only four of them, how the heck did, are they doing it and where are they getting their funding from? I have a hot tip of, of where they might possibly getting funding from. There, there might be a white knight there supporting them, or maybe, I don't know, a, a, a black knight if you're so opposed to the CPU. Uh, I personally have no, <laughs> I'm indifferent to them in the sense of, I'm just gonna try to report the story. But I think uh, you're gonna probably find out that as the season goes along and in the major spoiler you may actually get to see the return of a of a very loved character that has been on the down low for i would say 25 or 30 years that's oh, about all wow. i can go into it though because we have that's crazy sources out there and i'm trying to 
match them all up and see if I can get confirmation. So yeah. Wow. Okay. Something to look forward to there. So one thing they've already managed is to move the all-star game. Actually, it's very appropriate since the all-star game is coming up. Uh, what is it tomorrow night, actually? So um, after years and years of having the all-star game on the, on July 4th, these Canadian players got together and they managed to get the game moved to June 18th. I don't know what the significance of that date is, particular, but, uh, but so already for such a small group, they're already, again, wielding tremendous influence. So be interesting to see what else those sneaky Canadians have up their sleeves. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Like I say, and this stuff too, again, I, I hope people, if people don't read them, that's fine. They don't have to, but it's just something else fun to do. And when I'm in these mind numbingly boring meetings that I've got to sit and just got to have, make, try to make someone laugh. If I can make somebody crack up when they're reading this in the morning. And I yeah. found also too, in those drudge years and the down years in Detroit, when it just was, you know, I mean, I lost, games in just about every possible way you know sometimes I was beaten 25 to 2 sometimes it was 17,000 innings and I would lose in the last yeah. inning I mean I lost yeah. every game in every possible way and for me it was so frustrating and, and going to the website was like oh god I don't want to go look at this because it's just going to tell me how much I suck and I'm a failure in that so to try and even get around that and take my mind off it you know, maybe hopefully somebody will look at it and go, I'm not too scared to look at it today, or I'm not going to rage quit. I'm just going to go and, and maybe there's some dumbass article on there that'll give me a chuckle. I think um, you, I think you, you may have just inadvertently stumbled across like the golden ticket, like the secret to success is when you really started like writing a lot more. And when you, I think when you first coined the term like beat reporter or whatever was right around 78, right? 78, 79. And so really, when you started splitting your attention between, yeah, I'm managing a team over here a little bit, but I'm mostly doing all the writing. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, the team takes off and like, you know, you have this run of like, like tremendous success. So maybe that's been the, 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 the ticket for you is like, you know, don't take the, the GMing so seriously, just do a little bit, like add one player here, one player there, go off to your notebook. And meanwhile, you're off winning 95 games going to go to the World Series. Yeah, I, I think it does help Tim. And again, it just let's make some guys laugh because as much fun as it is, and, and don't get me wrong, I want to win at least one of these damn things. Trust me, I want to be able to do it and say that I've done it against these guys, which would be fantastic. But yeah. at the same time, I got to try to always keep myself in check and realize that this is a fake baseball league. And there are going to be some days that I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. There are going to be some moves that I'm not going to be able to make because I just don't have the time or something's going to crop up family-wise. And that's okay. I mean, I'm not going to shoot myself over this this game it's not meant to do that it's meant to actually distract me and keep me going so i just thought this is a great way we can keep everybody hopefully pointed in that direction and everybody regardless of where your team's at whether you're winning or whether you're losing or whether you're rebuilding or 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 whatever you can at least go oh what do you think this guy's going to do and then of course well dude i for one appreciate it i mean like honestly you know i, I used to try to do articles and i still sometimes i should say i try you know i, I try and keep the boards going and do things, but, but nobody matches your level of commitment, bro. And I really do appreciate that. So. And, and we should put a, we, something you mentioned here, Sean, is about, you know, you've been trying to incorporate other GMs into the mix and stuff. So just I'll, I'll throw this plug out for you. Cause I know this is something that you'd say, like if there's a GM out there who is, who, who wants to be, you know, written into the story, just ping, ping Sean say, Hey, I've got an idea. And then Sean can incorporate that into future stories. Yeah. No, I'll always take ideas because that's, a, again, unfortunately, sometimes I don't have inspiration because that's 
but yeah, I, I love to do it. And again, it's fairly easy because I mean, I'm just making shit up. It's like, Jesus, it's not, I'm just, it's just gotta be, I think fun for me. And I'm trying not to force it. You know, I still, to this day, I couldn't even tell you, I was so happy to get Clemens involved, but where the hell Mr. Barkey came from, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out, I must've had Star Wars on my mind for something. And the next thing I know, oh, it's Mr. Barkey and koalas and STDs. Well, why STDs? Well, don't all koalas have chlamydia? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what he must do. He's a doctor. And, you know, so just dumb stuff that hopefully people have fun with. Nobody takes offense to it because it's not meant to be that way. I'll get to you guys if I can. Um, it's just, again, there's only so much I can do. And then as I've said before to, to, to guys, it's, you know what, if I'm going to have fun, why not? It keeps my mind off things. It's, it's good mental health for me. And it's, it's good just to also talk to a bunch of guys who still actually like a sport that, that most people seem to not really pay much attention to anymore. It certainly wasn't at the level when we were growing up when it was really one of the, the only things out there along with the NFL. So yeah, I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope they get a kick out of it. Yeah. If they don't read it, that's totally fine. I get it too, because people are busy and they have a life, but I mean, yeah. hopefully you get to see them because I'm telling you, there's some good stuff in there. You know, nobody thought about the thing when I put in that one YouTube clip of the gong show for, for Chuck Nguyen. That's, that's classic. That's I was a classic, like, bro. You got, you got to go in there because if I'm putting a link in, you really should be watching it. Yeah. That's good there, stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the beautiful thing is we've got all the archives. We've got uh, – Sean's been writing for Clout since um, – you, you did a fair amount of writing in the first stint as well. Some of that stuff was even more off the wall, like back in the, you know, in the, in the sixties and in the late fifties and sixties. And there are links on the website. You can go back to, to see some of those, but uh, that's actually one thing I'm thinking of doing is kind of like occasionally, you know, I like to link to some of those older, older articles and stuff. But uh, Sean, I want to express my appreciation for your contributions to the, not only the circuit class, but to the league in general, like you do, you definitely help thing help move things along. Um, I still remember sometime way, way back, I think you came to my house when I was in Maryland and we like, you helped me like with the, with the draft class or something like that. We did something together where we were sitting around, you know, gathered around the computer, looking at ratings. It was probably way back yeah. 56 or 50, 57 in the league time. So um, you've also been helped, you know, help with uh, help resolve some of the free agent, uh, Bid, bids that we've been doing so again thanks for all that and it's been uh it's been a joy having you in the league and you know keep up the great work with the with the beat reporter stuff you know we all love it no pressure <laughs> yeah 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 no worries i, I will do the yeah. best i can and yeah. just so you know too the same token i or the same approach i kind of use to slack so if i'm ever annoying you with slack messages just tell me to sod off and get bent most of the stuff, to be honest, is generated from all the GMs here. If, if somebody's on Slack or somebody's saying something, it's just take one funny comment and then just run with it and just make it stupid. I, I don't know where this crap comes. That's good stuff, bro. Well, as much as I love it, I'll tell you, I'll take a World Series win. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, this could be your year, bro. You can't, you can't, you can't be far off. I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah. like, like, like you said, this team has all the looks of like it. Now, obviously, you're hoping that you're not the Braves, right? You're, you're hoping that you don't win like seven East Division pennants in a it's row. It's not the Braves. And, it's and, not and, the Braves. And not, and not win a World Series. Yeah. yeah. No, it's the opposite, bro. He's the yeah. number one offense. He's the number one offense and like number, I think I looked, it was eight or 10. So it was, anyway, it was in the bottom half. Like, you know, so you're in the bottom half pitching, but you're the number one offensive team. Dude, that, 
seven. That's that's the opposite of the Braves. And also, like you said, his offensive studs are all young and they're going to get better. They're going to add power. You talk about Aiken still has power to add, right? Uh, Trammell still has power to add. That's incredible. And Henderson too. Yeah. So to me, it's like, I mean, it's like all you need to do, once again, classic thing, right? All you need to do is make it. If you get to the playoffs, you're going to just like, go nuts right so that's the hope too because i will say this about one one thing about my beleaguered pitching staff my rotation there it's not the best rotation i mean like like say it's nothing you did in boston i i mean i i knew i wasn't gonna be able to turn that but if you look at it it's really not that bad of a rotation i just you know this gets back to glenn how we always talk about how the hell does iron mike determine who wins is it purely ratings or if it is ratings when does he decide to like level things out? You know, when is the big leveling come if you're doing too good in that? How does he, long story short, my, they have, my rotation isn't that crappy. I mean, it used to be, but it's okay. I just need to get all the guys firing on all cylinders at the same time. And that's what I haven't been able to do yet. You know, if, if I get Montefusco and Tidro hot, you know, Moose and, and Pastore might kind of crap out on me and then vice versa. So if I can get those guys actually firing all at the same time, or even four out of the five, for God's sakes, because I, I can only seemingly get like three out of the five to be doing well. If I think if I can get four, or God forbid, I get five to actually pitch like they could, I think I could probably be maybe like, I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth in the league pitching wise. And that I think is going to definitely give me some more wins. Yeah, yeah, Not a ton, but it's may give me enough to push me over the top there. Dude, you're in good shape, bro. I mean, you're like a going concern for the next whatever it is, you know, five years or however long you want to keep it together, you know? Yep. I hope so, man. I hope so. Well, I think we'll wrap it up here again. Thanks to Sean for coming on. No, anytime. Like I say, I, I always enjoy stuff like this. So if you need another mouse, let me know. Otherwise I'll try to get back to pumping out some articles for you guys here and see what we can do. I, I got the feeling here that GM Tanoli is going to fall into a, a bit of a, of a <laughs> bad situation sometimes. Oh, no. so, so oh, Jeff, my. you better watch out, man. Look oh, out. No. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's that's horrible. Good stuff, bro. That, that's we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that. that is that another uh, spoiler alert? Uh, yes, that's that's a mild one compared to the the CPU. I'm telling you, the CPU is just going to blow the doors off people. You're going to be like, no, but you'll be also happy too because again, it's been someone that a, a character from yesteryear, from days of yore. Nice. Everyone will love it. I'm sure it's kind of like bringing back what John Favreau and Dave Filoni are trying to do to Star Wars and save that franchise. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. Looking forward to that. All right. That wraps us up for this episode. So until next time, here's to fake baseball.